Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. We are recording this episode right in the middle of March. We just turned the clocks forward, so just had daylight savings. We're approaching the spring equinox here in the Northern Hemisphere, moving out of winter and into spring. I kind of can't believe it. It feels like we just recorded our Winter's Paradox episode, Cheryl. Yes, yes. But here we are. We're in the scraggly month of March where (laughs) one minute it's a balmy 70-degree day and then the next minute it's snowing again. Mm -hmm. That's what's been happening in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So we're in this in-between time, this transition from winter into spring. And that's what we're going to be spending some time with today, just kind of reflecting on and meditating on this transition from winter into spring. Mm. which I think highly sensitive people feel acutely, this liminal place, this tenuous place between seasons. And I have been feeling it so acutely. Mm. And writing on what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing, trying to put words to this experience, and this is what has come through. I see you, spring, the first green shoots nudging their tips above ground, the change in light that I first noticed a few weeks ago washing the sky with more brightness, more gold. The deep blue of winter has given way to spring's lighter hues. It's still cold most days here in Colorado, but the light is different, warmer, and the natural world is waking up. The birds are singing. It's a spring sound, a sound that speaks of rebirth and aliveness and hope. So why does it make me feel sad and some longing? As if the exquisite beauty of spring, the apple blossom days that make me feel lovesick with a desire to climb inside the beauty is already over. The first intimations of spring's glory are entwined with its death as the first taste of a new beginning also speaks to its ending. Highly sensitive people are always dancing with these polarities, and they rise to the surface with increased intensity during the liminal stages of transitions. These days or weeks when winter and spring alternate as the lead role in the musical theater of life until one bows out and the other sings in all her glory. It's when we feel the interplay of life and death most acutely, and it sometimes feels painful. Does the light and warmth expect something more of me than the cold and dark of winter? I believe it does. The garden will call to me. 
yard work will begin. I'll love it and feel nourished by it, but I'll also feel the burden knowing that our land requires care. Work. The part of me that doesn't want to work wants to stay in winter a bit longer. There's a wrestling inside of me, the pull for inwardness and the excitement and anticipation of outwardness, the feminine and the masculine. The tension that Jung spoke of where we're pulled across two polarities and the soul longs for integration. I feel sad and joyful both. I feel dread and anticipation. And then a passage from my blog post that I wrote in 2011 called Bittersweet Spring comes to mind where I wrote, Every spring I live on the razor's edge of pleasure and pain. The beauty slays me, literally takes my breath away, then leaves me with a hollow space in my soul as I touch its fleeting reality. These apple blossoms only bloom for a few weeks, and then they fly away on a sudden wind. I shudder at the beauty of the plum trees, a vision of gorgeousness, but ache at the knowledge that they will soon be gone. Life is change. It's the core of my work, and still I struggle to accept it. There are certain stages of my children's lives that elicit this same response. There are days when my kids are so precious and beautiful and sweet that I want to stop time and immortalize them into this moment. The beauty so immense that it hurts. And my husband and I turn to each other and say, look, and then it's passing by too quickly. Our smiles are bittersweet because we know that each moment is fleeting. And wasn't it just yesterday that our six-year-old was lying on my chest, golden-haired and pure as light? And it seems that I can already see the day when my two-year-old, who sits on my lap each evening at dinner as delicious as a dumpling, will be as tall as my husband. Spring is fresh and fleeting like childhood when I can revel in the blissful moments and accept their temporality, they move through me and bubble into a state of pure joy. It's only when I resist accepting this truth of life that the joy is accompanied by ache. There are seasons of our lives, delicious high points and times of darkness and struggle. A life well lived means passionately embracing each season each day, each moment, while simultaneously practicing the art of letting go. The beauty. It's painful. I don't know why beauty is painful. Why these first intimations of spring bring pain Maybe it's not pain as much as longing, but there is an element of pain in longing. 
When I feel that pain, longing, I breathe it in. And I have this sense that I'm widening my capacity for joy, for goodness, for exquisite beauty. This poem keeps coming to mind that I wrote 20 years ago in the early stages of my relationship with my husband. It's called Breathe in Spring, and it speaks to this time of year, to things not yet born, to potential and possibility. This was years before we had children, when our whole marriage and life as parents was ahead of us. And there's some pain when I read back on it now, the pain of knowing the challenges that were ahead of us, the loss of innocence when it was just he and I, and we were in a bubble of more ease. This was before we moved to Denver, before he left his career behind in Los Angeles. We just had no idea how our collision of traumas would manifest. And we had no idea about the goodness either, that our two sons were on the way, that I would grow my work in the world, that I would write two more books after the first one, that he would find his way into a new career, that he and I would have two more marriages all with each other. Spring speaks to this place of innocence and nascent possibility. It connects back to our passage of time episode, the fleeting nature of life. I'm just going to take a breath. I feel very emotional. Mm. I have tears in my eyes and in my heart. Mm. Like I could just weep for this life and all the pain and all the goodness. It's so much. Here's the poem. Breathe in spring, he said to me. The deep inhalation that detects the first thaw A purple flower that should not be in bloom but cannot help herself must struggle to be released from winter's heavy overcoat and declare itself free. Breathe in spring, he said, as dawn broke. And he spoke in a low tone that hung heavy from love, like the golden sap dripping out from the soul of a maple tree. Breathe in what has not yet arrived, he reminded me. What aches to be? What is waiting for your breath to reach into the atmosphere and extract a tale of life from winter's grasp? Inhale that tiny spark of newness into your red womb. Feel the quickening, the yes, 
that tag teams from cell to cell until your entire body is a stream in its own awakening. You are free, he tells me. You are a woman on the edge, he whispers. You are full of stars, he breathes. You are becoming who you are meant to be. What's coming now is the the extraordinary gift of Dave's love mm. that he has never ever stopped loving me, and there's been so many hard times, but his love has been unwavering. And his seeing of me, like I was just a spring chicken when we met. <laughs> <laughs> I was so young. And he saw, he just saw my soul and he saw me like nobody had ever seen me. And he saw our babies. And he saw what would end up being my work in the world. It's like that innocence of young love, an innocence of that time in our life. It was spring. Mm. We were spring. And we've gone through so many seasons since then and we're in such a good place now so to be at this spring and reflecting back on that spring 20 years ago I think there's also something about the fear of unfulfilled potential that comes up in spring. Spring is so full of hope and potential and highly sensitive people are highly aware of how we're not living up to our potential or our fear that we're not living up. And that can be such a painful thing. And the antidote, of course, is to bring immense amounts of self-compassion and maybe also an active acceptance of our incomplete nature that we only touch into wholeness and fully manifested potential in moments. It's not an end goal and then we're done and then we're manifested and then we've reached our potential. It's not like that. So we have the seeds that we gestated in winter 
And then this expectation or hope that the seeds will sprout into something new. And I was looking at my packets of garden seeds yesterday. And I was aware of how much I long to have a full garden every year. And every year, even though there's such fullness and beauty in the garden, I fall short of what I had dreamed. I don't weed enough. I don't water enough. I don't know enough. I'm not a master gardener. And maybe here's the opportunity to recognize that we're both always falling short in some way and also meeting ourselves where we are, which means recognizing our inherent humanness that isn't meant to be wholly whole. So here's spring, the birds singing out their songs of renewal, the ducks returning to the creek to mate again, the garden soil ready to be planted soon. And it's calling out to us to plant, to create, and manifest. Nature herself is perfect, and it's almost painful for the perfection to be right in our faces when we know we're going to fall short. But I'm noticing now, as I'm trying to name this experience, that if I can enter the season knowing that I'm going to fall short in some ways, that it gives me permission to try, to dive all in. And that lessens the ache. I've written a lot about how spring is the season of rebirth and living into new places in ourselves, and it is that. But I'm realizing something else this spring. I'm almost realizing it in, in this moment that maybe it's also about making room for our imperfections in a new way. Right? Bringing more compassion and acceptance to how human we are. Not striving to be more or different in any way. But that part of the invitation is to practice accepting ourselves exactly as we are. Nature isn't trying to perfect itself. Right? The birds aren't trying to be more evolved birds. And the apple trees aren't trying to be a different kind of apple or a more fragrant apple or a sweeter apple. It just is. Nature just is. And we are nature. So maybe we can practice isness too. And then there's one last layer of longing that I felt today as I was sitting outside at the creek 
It was the first day that it was warm enough to sit out there for any length of time. So I went down to the water and I found my stone and I had my journal with me, no phone. And I just sat. I sang to the creek. I drew her, I had a pen and I I drew the stones and I drew the plants. And I was so happy, so happy just sitting there. And I felt this huge love rise up in me. And I realized it is a love affair. I have I have a love affair with this land, as I think a lot of people know. I have a love affair with this land and it's heightened in spring when it feels like the entire natural world is in love. And with love, there is longing, especially unrequited love. There's something about being in love with nature that is unrequited. Does she love me with the same intensity with which I love her? Does she need me the way I need her? She certainly needs my care and respect, but nature doesn't need humans in the same way that we need her. So there's another layer of longing. And when spring comes, I run toward my beloved nature, trying to merge with her, trying to become one with her. I lie on the earth, belly down, and press into her. I inhale deeply. I wish I could fold myself into the creek ripples. When the apple blossoms bloom, I want to live inside them and memorize every moment. But again, it's fleeting, and I can't get close enough. I can't get close enough to the body of the earth. So I'm left with the ache and longing, holding, carrying a torch of sorts for my beloved Mother Nature. And holding, just holding the ache of longing right alongside the ecstasy of joy. a journey. That was a full (laughs) journey. That was a journey. I almost don't want to say anything because it's like this beautiful gem that's just Mm. perfect on its own Mm. (laughs) that you just presented. I mean, Mm. there's so many beautiful layers and you're naming so many things that 
usually go unnamed, mm. even if we feel it. Yeah. When you talk about the interplay of of life and death, beginning and ending, mm. and that cyclical and nonlinear nature of it. Mm-hmm. The the first thing that came to my mind, and this might sound kind of funny, <laughs> but also on brand for me, <laughs> is the song Closing Time by the band Semisonic. Do you know that song, Cheryl? <laughs> I'm sure I do. <laughs> okay, so it's a song from the 90s, and it's about, well, on the surface, it's like it's closing time in the bar. So like they're turning the lights on. One last call, one last call for alcohol, so finish your whiskey and beer. That's what he says. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. But in the song, he says, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Mm-hmm. And if you really listen to the lyrics, there's definitely like something else going on. It's not just about the bar closing and mm. – I read this interview with the this lead singer and the person who wrote the song, and he said it. He wrote it when his daughter was born, or right around when his first daughter was born. <sighs> and there's a line in the song that's like, "Turn off all the lights and let you out into the world." Mm. And it's really about being born. But everyone, it's usually like the last song that they play, you know, like bands will play as their the last song of their set or it's, you know, it comes on at the bar like when they're turning the lights on when it's time to go home. <laughs> yes. But it's actually about being born. Wow. And I thought that was so perfect. And it's kind of like that winter into spring, like beginning and ending, just all, all mixed up together, you yes. know? And I actually have a really short poem, mm. which this also came to my mind. It's about it's about my first date with Martin. Mm. <laughs> it's very short. And it's called First Date. Mm. The ecstasy, the fear, your coffee cup in my hands, warm palms, cold night, closing time, inkwell cracked, Stories spilled in the back seat, laughter, foggy windows, skin and bones, the agonizing here and now, beginning and ending, laced with your voice, my body braced against yours and the night outside, sirens and light, outside time, in time, in love. Mm. Mm. It's all there too, beginnings and endings, and that newness of new love that does come from some other ending, right? And all the endings that we bring into each new beginning. Yeah. Right. I have this really vivid memory of in college, you know, my first love. I was 18. Mm. It was springtime. And I remember being so happy and sad at the same time. Mm. And I just 
started crying one night and he was like, what's wrong? And I said, all I could say was someday you're not going to feel this way anymore. And it wasn't like, I, you know, for all I knew, I, I didn't know if we would stay together forever and get married. It didn't matter. What I felt was we're not always going to be 18 and in yes. love and springtime and new. You know, it's not always going to be like this. And I know yes. this is special. Yes. I think that's part of what I felt when I was reading the poem and thinking about Dave and I in those early weeks, months, where it was so innocent and so pure in that very beginning stage. We hit a rough patch pretty early on, so that innocent, pure stage <laughs> didn't last very long. But even though the rough patch came in, there was still such innocence yeah, I think especially before children come, before the big transitions come, before moving and career changes and um, parenting challenges and losses. It's like a what a life is. But in the beginning, it's not all that. No, there's this there's this bubble experience in the beginning of a relationship, in spring. And spring must, it must tap into that in some way. Yeah, it's so interesting because I do have this association in spring with with the season of Lent and with mm. Easter. Yes. And the way that it's so interesting how, you know, that the, the exact timing varies from year to year. But at the end of winter into spring, typically there's this Lent season of, of perhaps some deprivation. At least that's, you know, when I was a kid, I would give up things and hmm. I haven't really observed Lent in a long time. But I would mm -hmm. give up chocolate for 40 days or I'd give up soda and we wouldn't eat meat on – Fridays and and then going to the Easter mass, you know, there's so much about the death of Jesus which was a really brutal death. Yes. And the church would be full of fresh flowers and I kind of have this association like when I smell lots of fresh flowers in church it kind of always makes me think of funerals because when you mm -hmm. go to a funeral at a Catholic church there it's always full of flowers and so I always had this kind of very uneasy feeling around Easter time as a kid in some ways. You know, on the one hand, there was the Easter bunny and a, a basket of candy, but there was also this story of great suffering and yes. death. I mean, first there's the story of Jesus in the desert, you know, for 40 days being tempted and deprived. And then there's his him being betrayed by his friend and suffering and dying. And then there's the mysterious resurrection and mm. the gardener appearing to Mary Magdalene. Mm. But I think that very dark period of suffering and death is very real as well. Which would be right now, 
Yes. Right. As we are leading up to Easter and also Passover, which is also a pretty brutal, gruesome story that does end in freedom and liberation. But what a trial. Yeah. To get there and a lot of death and a lot of bloodshed that took place and a lot of suffering that took place. So we must be feeling into that aspect as well, especially during these weeks, these weeks in March, right? Just before spring equinox, just before Easter and Passover. Like you were saying, this, like the scraggly time of year where we are crowning and then retreating, like the baby being born, where there is that intimation, that possibility of death that we know exists in every birth. And as highly sensitive people, we feel into that layer. We feel the hope and possibility and we feel that specter, that energy, the stories of death. And I wish there was more ways to honor. I think I said to you, Victoria, when we were talking about this episode, I should bury something. Like, or maybe I said that to Dave. If, like something, something needs to be honored. And yes, we bury seeds, but not quite yet. It's not, it's not the seeds. It's something else that speaks to death. You know what also came to me when I was preparing for this conversation is there's a a person I follow on Instagram. He wrote a book called The Voices We Carry. His name is J.S. Park, and he is a hospital chaplain and just a really amazing person. Mm. And I saw a a post that he shared the other day, and it's a note to self that he shared. He said, I see people die every week. Often they tell me their regrets. Please, I plead with you, live deeply. You may be young now, but it goes fast. It is a breath. Do not waste time on everyone else's vision for you. I know it is not this easy. In all the ways you can, please be here. Wow. That's beautiful. I keep thinking of that phrase, live deeply. Because I think what you said about kind of the anxiety around spring, like, Mm. It's fleeting or I'm going to miss it. Like I always think about the cherry blossoms and there are some really beautiful places in New Jersey to see cherry blossoms. And it's like, oh no, what if I miss them? What if I Mm. forget and I miss Mm. it? Mm -hmm. You know, what you said about how so many of us are so tortured by the idea of potential and not living up to our potential. Yes. But that phrase live deeply to me, it's not like it's not like spread yourself thin. It's not live everything. It's not 
it's it's just like please be here in all the ways you can that to me is always available and it can mean such different things to different people it doesn't have to be some spectacularly glamorous life you know Mm. but that question has been coming to my mind how can i live deeply today or just when i have a choice to make of do i do i do this this thing or do i not do this thing yes martin and i just booked flights with our a friend of ours to go to another friend's wedding in Arizona next month and i'm nervous about it it was pretty expensive to book flights last minute you know, mm-hmm. we're gonna have to wear masks on the plane. I'm get I get anxious about flying and COVID, but like to me, living deeply is to go celebrate this marriage of someone I've been friends with for 20 years, who mm-hmm. introduced me and Martin, mm-hmm. who means so much to me. And even I'm just going for a weekend, but like to the mon almost the mantra that I'm carrying right now is that live deeply because we can get paralyzed in the terror of realizing how fleeting life is and that happens Mm. to me, Mm. but we can also use that to be here. Yes. It's like the people who, who use that phrase memento mori or they put a skull on their desk Mm. um, to, to remember, um, not all of us need a reminder of death. I think a lot of us just, we remember. <laughs> <But> <laughs> well, yes, highly sensitive people remember, but often from a fearful, yeah. paralyzing way. Yeah. What yeah. comes to mind is uh, Brother David Steindl Rast mm-hmm. and his work around gratitude that grew from being a teenager and Nazi-occupied Austria, Mm. and the awareness of death being right in his face. And what where he went with that was keep death close, but not to paralyze you, to remind you to live deeply, right? And it's tricky. It's very tricky when you are prone to anxiety, you are highly sensitive, But what comes to mind in light of all of this is how can we use spring's potential, the energy of spring, to, like you're doing, Victoria, to seize the day, to carpe diem, to live deeply, knowing that the fear is going to be there, but still making choices that allow us to step into life a little bit more deeply. It doesn't have to be like, now I'm going down the Grand Canyon. (laughs) You know, it can be now I'm going to take a trip, even though I have fear around it. I'm going to do it anyway. And what can we toss into the waters of spring, the rushing creek, the ocean, whatever body of water is available to you, you know, what layers of fear, of old fear, fear that no longer serves a purpose, fear that 
may not have even originated with you, ancestral fear, how many layers of that fear, how would you name that fear? What is the fear that prevents you from living deeply? And living deeply doesn't have to mean going on vacation. Of course, it can mean showing up with a little bit less defense and wall with your partner. Yeah. Right? It can mean taking that risk to be vulnerable. It can mean harnessing this, the newness of spring, the vulnerability of spring, right where we are right now in this tenuous liminal zone. Imagining ourselves stepping into it and softening some of our old, outdated defenses. Can we imagine tossing those? Just one or two, not all of them. Yeah, last week, living deeply for me meant getting my hair cut. (laughs) I hadn't had a real haircut from an actual professional since before COVID started. (laughs) My sister just cut a few inches, you know, or an inch or two off my hair twice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I felt like I really needed it. Like, I was like, I need someone to scrub my scalp and chop, chop some inches and inches off. Mm. And I think that's a spring energy, you know? Yes. But also... There was a day when I had an invitation to live deeply and I didn't do it. The fear got me. Mm. I had a friend invite me to something that sounded like it was going to be so lovely and I froze up. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the social anxiety or the COVID anxiety or both or Mm -hmm. just overwhelmed that I was feeling last week, but I said no and I knew I was like, I felt sorrow because I knew Mm. I probably would have been so happy Mm. if I had gone. And I felt the sorrow of how many times I've said no when (laughs) I could have said yes, which is many, many, many times. Mm. And I felt the sorrow of having been more disconnected and more isolated from people, not just during COVID, but even a little bit before, just not being as connected to my friends, not saying yes to as many things. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not, I don't say any of this lightly or from a place of, oh yeah, I just live deeply now. (laughs) Super easy. Well, I love that you shared that last bit. And what I really like is that it brought, at least the way you're sharing it, it brought sorrow. I'm not hearing a lot of shame or Mm, mm, self-judgment. It just made you sad to watch watch the place of no that won out that particular time, but also holding all of the yeses. Mm. That it's okay. We're going to say no. Our fear is going to win out sometimes, a lot of times. Yeah. My fear wins out, I'm sure, every day in some way, in some small way. 
but it also doesn't. And I think spring, if we're going to harness the energy of this season, it's such a season of yes, right? Of yes, exclamation point. And can we practice saying yes when our habitual response is no? And can we bring compassion for ourselves Mm -hmm. when we say no? And sometimes the no is a genuine no. There's Mm -hmm. certainly a place for no. But when the no is coming from fear, can we just watch that like you are and feeling the sorrow, feeling the sadness? And moving toward the yes, being curious about the yes. And I like to think that spring is a season of second chances. Mm. We get to start again and we get to find new life. So even if we really give in to fear one day, mm-hmm. there's the hope of that renewal. And I, spring is, I mean, I used to always say spring was my favorite season. And now mm. I, I've like grown more and more appreciation for other seasons. So, I don't know if I can use the superlative, but if I had to, I think I would say spring is my favorite season. I mean, (laughs) once you get through that scraggly March and that transition, I mean, it's just heavenly. It's heavenly. It's spectacular. Yeah. It's so fresh and beautiful and the time we can spend outside and- yes. I remember being a teenager before I had ever had a boyfriend. I remember listening to the Beatles song, Good Day Sunshine, which mm. to me is just like a great spring song. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, I feel like I'm in love. Like yeah. I'm not in love. I don't have a boyfriend. I'm not dating anyone. Yes. I I was listening to this song on this beautiful spring day and I was like, I really, I just, I feel like I'm in love. Like you were yes. saying. Yes. You know? Yes, it is a love affair when yeah. we open to the divine, heavenly, fresh, fragrant, alive experience of spring. It is a love affair. It can fill us up. And you know, for those who struggle with relationship anxiety and have that expectation that their partner is supposed to make them feel in love, Spring is also this incredible opportunity to orient and redirect, reorient that longing mm-hmm. for a loveness to spring. Mm-hmm. See what happens when you intentionally let yourself fall in love with spring. And it might be unrequited <laughs> in some layers. <laughs> But it might also not. There are moments when it just comes rushing back right to you and, and you and you feel the reciprocity where you are in that. You are in it. You are in it. You're in the dance with spring. What also comes to mind, Victoria, it's what I initially thought we were going to talk about when we first mentioned doing mm-hmm. an episode on spring. What comes to mind is my birth of Asher, hmm. which is exactly a month from today, April 14th, he will turn 13. So in this moment, 
13 years ago, I was eight months pregnant. And when we're talking about the no and needing to reverse that into a yes, it's so much of what the birthing process requires. And I had a natural home birth with both my sons. Um, and I honestly, I, I don't know how I did that. I don't think I could make that choice today. I was braver back then, or maybe it was the hormones, or I don't know what allowed me to do that. I mean, birth is brave no matter where you give birth. It's just an extraordinary thing that we do. Um, but what was coming to mind as you were talking was how it was the vision. I was, I was in the birthing tub surrounded by midwives and doulas and my husband and Everest was downstairs with our beloved neighbor. And the midwife kept saying, Something like, bring that sound down lower. I was apparently screaming, and it was a high up, and it was in my throat, and she kept saying, bring it down. And I kept saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. I have to go to the hospital. It's too painful. I can't do this. And I was in so much resistance. And I know that's normal in birth. But I couldn't, I couldn't fully surrender to the pain. It's an extraordinary pain. It's an unbelievable pain. And I, I, I was resisting, resisting, resisting until finally you really have no choice. It, it comes over you. But I think both of my labors were longer because I, I have a hard time letting go. I had other friends who had home births who have an easier time letting go. They are wired differently. They had much faster labors, smoother labors. And and I didn't. And I don't say that from self-judgment. And maybe that's not true at all. And maybe it's just how my labor went. And maybe it had nothing to do with my stuck points or my resistance. I don't know. But my sense is that it did that there was a place inside that, you know, as I am, struggles to let go. And then I did. And then, you know, out he came. And um, it's like the birthing process, which we are in right now, and nature is in, in spring, Again, there's something harrowing about it, right? We do get to the glory of now there's this baby on my chest and he's perfect and amazing and he's my Asher and he's here and we get to the apple blossoms and the plum and the fragrance and we get to that place, but there's a birth canal that we have to walk through. And I think that's where we are at this particular moment. 
a very, very early spring. If it's hard for you to let go, Cheryl, I don't even want to know like <laughs> how long a labor could be for me. Um, because <laughs> the process of – I spoke about this a little bit in our episode about the passage of time, but – leaving my parents' house, moving into my first apartment, and then eventually Martin moving in with me and kind of just living into my adulthood in a new way and finding steadier footing in myself, in my relationship, all of that has been such a long, slow (laughs) process Mm. um, that – just reminds me of what you're saying about actually birthing Asher into the world, but even, you know, mm-hmm. as we birth mm-hmm. ourselves into new chapters and new experiences and new stages, how it can take a long time and it can be, like you said, kind of harrowing at times, but then eventually we find our footing and we do get those seeds start to bud and then blossom. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah, and that's good. Mm. Mm. I have an Emily Dickinson poem <gasps> that we can end with. Is it one of her March poems? It is a March poem. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm very excited. It's called A Light Exists in Spring. A light exists in spring, not present on the year at any other period when March is scarcely here. A color stands abroad on solitary fields that science cannot overtake, but human nature feels. It waits upon the lawn. It shows the furthest tree. Upon the furthest slope you know, it almost speaks to you. Then as horizons step or noons report away, Without the formula of sound, it passes and we stay. A quality of loss affecting our content as trade had suddenly encroached upon a sacrament. I just, just learned today that Emily Dickinson has five poems about March. Really? Yes. And I thought, oh, I wish I had time to find one. And then you brought one. (laughs) And I think if Emily Dickinson identified something special about March, then... Mm, We're on the right track. Yes. Yes. 
Thank you for bringing that. Mm, thank you. I feel I feel like calmer and tingly all at the same time after this conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Me too. I feel like we can approach spring. I feel like I can approach spring in a different kind of way, just as I felt after we recorded the Winter's Paradox episode. Mm. It changed winter for mm. me. Yes. Thank you, Cheryl. Mm. Thank you. If people want to find more of you and your work online, where should they go? My website is conscious-transitions.com and I'm on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety. And you can find me over at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And if you are enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate it, leave a review. The reviews make us so happy and share it with a friend. Thank you for listening. <laughs>